HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. With our growing season just around the corner, we're sowing seeds of knowledge and empathy on this week's episode of Meet and Three through four unique stories. I'm always shocked at how aggressive people are with their language. They'll have something like Japanese knockweed and they'll say, you know, these are terrible, they're, they're foreigners, they're invasive, and, you know, but they're also, you know, they're really healthy if you eat them. We're surrounded by seeds that have already adapted to live with us and they're actually already kind of living in the future because cities are hotter and they're more polluted and they're more fragmented and these are the plants that can deal with that. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Eli Sussman and welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio. On this episode, I speak with Zara Khan, the chef of Botanica, which is located in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. A self-described farm and produce nerd, Zara majored in environmental studies and forestry at University of Washington. Growing up in Seattle, cooking was always part of her family ritual, and she was required to cook dinner one night a week for her family. After working at Delancey and Essex and running the kitchen at London Plain, she made the decision to move to Los Angeles to continue her cooking career. She arrived in L.A. on March 8th of 2020, expecting a job, a restaurant, and a year much different than what would develop. In this episode, we talk about finding friendship during lockdown in a new city, remaining optimistic even in the midst of a global pandemic, the power of family meal to inspire and how to create dishes, and what it is like to take over a kitchen and lead a business all during COVID. One thing to note, this episode was recorded in January, when indoor and outdoor dining in Los Angeles was paused. Now, here's the episode with Chef Zara Khan. I was uh, helming the London Plain, which is like one of Matt Dillon's restaurants. It's this beautiful, um, it was an old bank building and sort of like the old downtown, like historic neighborhood in Seattle. Um and I was there for a little over three years. And then I moved down to LA like March 8th, right before right before everything shut down. <laughs> Great timing. And amazing timing. I flew down uh, expecting to be down here for 10 days to like find an apartment and then fly home and drive all my stuff down. 
and then the lockdown hit and my parents were like just stay put like we'll send you your stuff really like over time so they yeah for like for like the first two weeks I like borrowed a bike from a friend and then I think like a month and a half in they ended up shipping my car down with like as much stuff as they could pack in it and then yeah it was like a slow a slow release of my belongings back to me which made me like really I never thought I'd be like so grateful to have like my own bike and my car (laughs) yeah yeah it's such a weird feeling you came to LA I mean you were obviously moving there for a job but it was a It was a temporary trip in order to get situated. And then have you not left since or have you gone back to Seattle since? I still haven't gone back. I still have like, I think I probably have like 80% of my my stuff by now. Um, But yeah, I haven't gone back because I just don't, I don't know. I don't think it's like worth it to risk it. I know people that have been flying, but I, I don't know. I just the idea of like going home and possibly like infecting my parents or like getting it and then giving it to my crew is like pretty, pretty (laughs) unappealing, especially now it's like gross weather in Seattle. And I like grew up there and I was very ready to leave. So I'm not really in a hurry (laughs) to go back, especially during this time of year. What, what is it like to move to a new city and then the only experience that you have in that city is 2020 COVID. <laughs> um, I don't like, so I came down a couple of times last year while I was like staging and figuring out where I wanted to work down here. Um, but yeah, so like my radius is pretty small, obviously, like as it should be, I guess, with COVID. Um And so sometimes I kind of forget how giant LA is. Like there's, so many aspects of living here that I just haven't experienced, which it kind of like makes me um, excited for when all this is over. Cause I'm like, I have so much more to discover, but I also feel like I have somehow made this amazing group of female friendships here. That's like super crazy tight knit. And I feel like that wouldn't have happened if the pandemic wasn't going on. Um, so I feel super, super lucky to have, to have, found that and yeah I mean I don't know I'm not a huge like party animal so like in all honesty I don't think my life really would be that different in terms of like my day-to-day but like my radius I think would just be like bigger and I would have like eaten at more restaurants and gone to more bars obviously it's interesting that you say that you've been able to find a crew and it sounds you know you sound optimistic about the future, but you also don't sound uh, as down as as maybe some folks might expect for someone who basically moved to a city and then got immediately locked down without their belonging. So how did you find those people? Were they friends beforehand? Are they, you know, are they restaurant people that you knew? Because one of the craziest and hardest parts about COVID is been the lack of human interaction. And mm-hmm it's really hard to go long periods of time without uh, going out to restaurants and bars, as you, as you mentioned. So it sounds like that was kind of like your, this has been a bit of like your saving grace. So how did you, how have you been navigating that? You know, how, how did you find them? And um, luckily the weather is good in LA, but how have you been able to kind of navigate COVID in a new city with 
uh, with your new group of friends? Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because there was one day at work where I was like, there's just so much to do. Like, there's just so much. And my, one of my servers was like, what planet are you living on? I'm like, I'm a, I am an optimistic person just like by nature, but like coming from Seattle where you're constantly like combating the weather and like having to hype yourself up to like go for a run when it's been raining all day and it's like 40 degrees outside. I'm just like on cloud nine that I can go for like a four mile walk and it's sunny and beautiful. And like, I could like honestly couldn't really ask for that much more. I love being outside. Um, as far as like my friend group goes, I kind of, yeah. So I knew a couple guys down here when I moved already. And I knew one girl like from Seattle, she had moved like the year before me, um, but we weren't super tight. It was like she, our, our exes were friends. And so we sometimes overlapped. Um, but so I moved into my apartment and one of the girls who live next door to me <laughs> turned out to be another cook also from Seattle who was like also a Scorpio. <laughs> and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> so she and I sometimes would like sit on our balconies and like drink wine together, like socially distant. <laughs> um, and then my friend Haley, who was the one that I like knew beforehand, um, she started dating this girl who skated, like skateboarded. Um, and so she started to learn to skateboard and I moved down here with a skateboard that my friend had built me. Um, and so I was like skating up and down my block basically every day. <laughs> and then my friend who lived next door was like, I have a skateboard. Like I've always wanted to like learn. Um, and so we all just sort of started skating together and it became this, like, I don't know. We just became like this little pod. And like, honestly, like the thing that I was missing the most was like a nightlife. Cause like, what are you going to do at night when everything is shut down? Like, parts of LA are like, you know, not super duper safe at night, like whatever. Um, so, so like skating became this way for us to like hang out at night. And like, also it was nice cause like the skate parks were mostly empty and like none of us were like confident or good enough to be like, yeah, let's go hit the skate park when there's like a bunch of boys skating. <laughs> um, so yeah, it became this way for us to like be outside and like be active and have adventures and like still be safe. How has being in LA changed you as a cook? Hmm. Um, well, I was at first like super nervous to like have to deal. Cause you know, in Seattle, all the farmers like come to you um, and you like email with them and I know them all cause I've been in the industry for a long time. Um, so I was just like nervous to be like, working with all new farmers who I had like no established relationship with. Um, but I mean, I'm such a, I mean, I've worked on farms and I'm just like such a geek about <laughs> produce, but like basically from go, like when I started going to the farmer's market, you like, I don't know. I feel like everyone in California is just so nice. Um, and I love, I love going to the farmer's market. It's like the, my favorite part of the week. Um, I like go, early in the morning and then be done by like 8 30 and like go jump in the ocean and then come back to the restaurant and like unload everything but um there's just so much good shit down here like I'm like I don't I'm just like my mind is constantly blown like the the variety of dates like I never knew about like half of the like species of dates that that we get and like I'm just like discovering new 
herbs and like new citrus and I'm just like how are we so close to Seattle but there's so many new and different things down here um I'm also like you know in Seattle there's like a whole season where you're like this is just like storage crop season and like I'm so sick of beets and Brussels sprouts and like root vegetables and down here I'm like I'm sorry what is the challenge like you can get tomatoes year-round if you want to like obviously they're still not as good as they are like peak summer but there's not like this complete dearth of things in the winter. So I, I'm just like, I wish that obviously our restaurant was like busier. So I could really like, I have like plans for when things start ramping up again so that I can like start spending more money on produce and like things that right now don't make sense for our budget. Um, but I feel like a kid in the candy store kind of. <laughs> How has menu planning and you, you know, you alluded to cost of goods and just generally uh, trying trying to get customers to come into Botanica right now to get mostly takeout as it's been for the last couple months. How has that been? Uh, has it been a challenge? Has it been kind of an interesting exercise for you to create a menu that is constrained, maybe not by the accessibility to produce, but you're constrained by by certain other factors? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like everybody else, like we've had to pivot a couple of times to try and like, you know, adapt with the times and also be like exciting. It's it's like this weird thing of, I mean, being a chef in general, like you have to have this like creativity, but also great like management skills, which I think in general, not a lot of people understand or have, but it's extra hard when then it's like, and it's a global pandemic. And so everyone's mind is in a million places all the time, but like be creative and like make something sexy when like really realistically, it's not necessarily about how sexy the food that you're making is. It's just like the takeout life. People, certain restaurants are geared better towards it. Like people don't, we're not fine dining, but it's not as approachable as like Thai food or pizza. Um, so it's like a little bit sad uh, when you have to like plate everything on <laughs> compostable containers. And like we we had this whole like concept over the summer that was like kebab party, which is like fun. And I'm like, you have to find a way to like get excited about the challenges that you're facing because yeah, in reality, like when we were just open as a market, and I'm like basically making deli salads for the market. Like, no, none of us got into this profession so that we could be making like to go like deli food. But if you're not excited about it and you can't stand behind like what you're doing, then like, what are you doing going to work every day? Like I still, I'm like very, uh, I still try and like stay very grateful and be like, you know, this industry is, not in a good place at all right now and like I'm very very grateful that I have a job so like I find ways to be excited about stuff even when it's hard and it's like yeah this isn't my like ideal version of of work life right now but I I'm one of those people who like loves working and so I'm when I first moved down and we were closed and I couldn't go to work every day I was like this is a much longer break than I wanted like let me back in um so, so yeah, you just have to sort of roll with it and, and like be a little bit easy on yourself and everyone and realize that like nothing is running according to how you would normally function, but you're trying to do the best that you can and like keep, I'm like such a big 
believer in like I spend too much time at work for like the vibe to be weird or bad and so just trying to keep the vibe good for everyone how has that been working out with sliding into a kitchen and becoming the leader of the kitchen and then going through what what is for every basically every business in America like the most traumatic difficult time I mean you're talking a lot about you know gratitude and vibe and creating an environment where you're excited to come to work every day have you been able to has that has that translated to the staff like do you feel like you're accomplishing that as the leader of the kitchen yeah I mean I won't go into it because this is like a whole long story but um when I came in there when I came in there was like plans to open another restaurant and there was like a chef there who was going to like go to the other restaurant. Um, and, you know, it doesn't make sense to be opening another restaurant right now. And there were like a lot of problems with the existing chef in terms of like her leadership and, and her like culinary um, style. Um, so I ended up like, they let her go and I ended up taking the helm. And it was this transition that like desperately needed to happen without like going into it too much. Um, And so weirdly, I sort of, I came in and it was like really difficult and weird. And then once I was able to like fully take over, it was sort of like this breath breath of fresh air that like needed to be breathed into that place. So, um, so, So that happened. And then there's been a little bit of like staffing reconfiguration there's like two original staff members in the kitchen and then two people that I brought in. So I've been able to sort of like create the culture a little better. Um, And it's been good. I mean, I think like when you're hiring and when you come into a place, you sort of teach people what to expect and like what is acceptable uh, in terms of like, obviously like timeliness, but also like attitude and approach. And like, in my experience, you, you set the tone by how you lead. Um, and so, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been good. I don't want to say that it's like, I don't want to say that I got like lucky in terms of the fact that I like came in to a place that like sort of needed my positivity, but it has been like a major shift in terms of leadership styles that that has been welcomed by everyone from like back of house to front of house. Um, so yeah. It's like definitely the weirdest transition I've ever been a part of, but I have like a sense when I come into a place, like if those people are going to be like my people, you know, like when I started, I was like, I'm going to be here for like a few years. And my friend was like, how can you tell that? And I was like, I just can tell like the intention behind like what we are doing in is like unified like we sort of got rid of the people that weren't unified in that, in that like common goal. Right. And now you hire for, and you create like the environment where like, there's no room for like people who don't get excited about vegetables. And if you're not interested in like what farm this came from, like this isn't a kitchen for you and like no hard feelings and no like negativity, but like this is a kitchen where this is the stuff that we care about. And like, then you attract people that care about the same thing. If that makes sense. (laughs) yeah it's you know the the perspective used to be that it was like a top-down system but it was based on fear and intimidation 
And now it can, it sounds a little bit like what you're alluding to. And I'll just build on that is that what my personal hopes are for a a top-down system, because there has to be some sort of leadership, but that exists in like a more collaborative top-down way, which is let me explain to you and bring you into the fold about why these decisions are being made. But also this is going to be a uh, desirable, inclusive place to work where your voice is heard. And it seems like people can still flourish and work really productively under that type of environment. It's just, it's taken us a long time to get to this point. And we're, 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 we're very much like not, we haven't solved it yet. There's obviously kitchens that have tons and tons of problems, but it's cool to hear that you're talking about okay, well, if this isn't the right fit for you, then that's okay. Like you can move on, but let me be pretty clear about what type of environment I'm trying to create here. Um, and so where do you think your, like, how did you create your philosophy in the kitchen? Is it inspired by any of your mentors that you've worked for at other places? Do you want to speak to maybe just how you've kind of, how you've grown, not necessarily from a culinary perspective exclusively, but also from becoming a leader who's, who's taken over a kitchen and like feels confident to sort of put your stamp on an existing restaurant? Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like I'm at this place in my life where for like years and years, my ex was also um, a cook and, and he's a white guy and he always had these like incredible mentors. And I was, we met when we were like 20 and I was like, when is it my turn? When is it my turn? Like, when am I going to get like a cool mentor who like, you know, brings me on a trip with them and like, you know, shows me the ropes. Um, and I was super excited when I moved here because I thought that that was going to finally happen. And then it turned out that it like didn't. And so in sort of like becoming a, a leader at my last uh, restaurant and then taking this over, I've sort of, I've definitely like gotten more comfortable in realizing that like, I just have to be the mentor that I always wanted, kind of, um, which is like this sort of bittersweet thing. But um, yeah, I've come from... I feel like I sort of have like one leg in each world where like I've definitely worked in kitchens where it was like yelling and like belittling and like the aggro like energy. Um, And I was like, I want nothing to fucking do with this. Like that's awful. And, and then also like being a millennial where I'm like, you know, I want someone to tell me I'm doing a good job. (laughs) Um, And then I also like, this is a little wooey, but like I have my like yoga teacher training. Like I've I've taught yoga for a period of time. And like, I just feel like, especially with food, like the energy that exists in the environment that that food is prepared, like goes into the food and you can feel it. And like, I've worked in open kitchens where the energy wasn't good. And I'm like, people can feel that people can hear it. They can sense it. And like, that's so important to me from like, you know, if the energy in the kitchen is weird and bad and if I have bad energy, then like servers aren't going to feel comfortable asking me about something that they don't know in a dish. And then they're not going to do a good job explaining that dish to a table. And then they're not going to like give me feedback from a table, you know, like it just is this whole trickle down thing that I just don't, I just don't want to be involved in that. Like 
the reason that I cook, it's like, it's like my love language. Like, why would I want to pollute that with like ego or negativity or like anger? Like we all get angry sometimes, you know, like tensions run high, but I don't want to like fuck up my whole day about it. I don't want to fuck up your whole day about it. Like, I think that, you know, mistakes that are mistakes get made. And as long as they're not like made repeatedly out of laziness, then like they're they're forgivable and we can move on like lives aren't being lost here you know I think a lot of people take it so seriously and like there's so much ego involved that that sort of clouds what you're actually trying to do which is hospitality we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these brief messages This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, So good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. I'm Eli Sussman, and welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by Chef Zara Khan. After starting her career in Seattle, she moved to L.A. on March 8th of 2020 and took over the kitchen of Botanica in Silver Lake, right as COVID was taking hold of the entire U.S. Let's jump back into the conversation. (laughs) I did a dish at London Plain that was like a special one-off thing um, that... One of my one of my line cooks was like from Guatemala, and she was like making these amazing black beans, and I was like, we have to put these on the menu. And so then I did this riff on uh, when you grow beans, you grow them with corn and squash because they're called the three sisters because they have this like symbiotic relationship. Like the corn like grows obviously tall, and the beans grow up the corn stalk and like fix nitrogen in the soil. And then the squash like spreads along the ground and like, uh, like knocks out the other competitors and like provides shade and stuff. So they're just like, this like little triumvirate of like happy sisterhood, um, which I love. And so we like did a dish on the menu that was like the three sisters and it was like corn, corn, beans and squash. And I like love that. And then like, I love like sort of getting to know sort of like the history behind stuff. Like I just discovered wakate like a couple of months ago and so like 
talked to the farmer and was like, what's the deal with this herb? Like, where did it, you know, like, what is the history of it? Like, what are its like indigenous uses? Like, whatever. So I like doing that. And I'm like, it's just like excitement is contagious. If I'm like, you guys like, listen to this. (laughs) Isn't this cool? Like, then my cooks are going to get excited about it too. And then maybe they know something that I don't know. Like, I definitely don't claim to know everything. Um, And so, yeah, it's like just that thing of like, I want to be in a environment where we're always learning and there is so much to learn and like asking, ask the farmers about, cause they know, they know everything. I really just feel like in everything that I do as a chef, I'm like trying to honor the work that they do because farming is such hard work and it like, it goes so unrewarded a lot of the time. Okay. Share a little knowledge with me. So what is Wakate? Huacate is um, also called like Peruvian black mint um, and it's like from the Andes and they use it like you can it's like antimicrobial or antibacterial and you can like boil it and like you know like the steam from it is good for you like how eucalyptus is good for you Um, but also like it's just this amazing sort of like more floral cilantro taste Um, and you can like put it on fresh or you can dry it and like we dry it and put it in our za'atar a lot of the time um and I like that our little like cultural nod (laughs) of like our za'atar is like got a little something special in it a lot of the time and the cool thing about za'atar is that there isn't really a true set recipe or ratio so uh sort of everyone's za'atar from several different countries and even house to house ends up being quite different um, yeah. Is that, is that something that you grew up with? Like, is that, was there always za'atar in your house that was made or was that like a store-bought item that you always had? No, not even. My parents were like very much learning to cook when I was a kid. And like, once we became sort of like early teens, my sister and I would each have like a, a dinner night. So we'd have to like make dinner for the family one night a week. Um, I came to za'atar like pretty late it was that London plane I think that we started making it and we would like dehydrate carrot tops like whatever like leftover like radish tops or like carrot tops we would dehydrate it and blend it up and put it in there um and so yeah I love that that like was that I got from an old chef that I used to work with and we started to do that and now it's like the prettiest color we We've done nettles also, which is like really fun to put in there. Um, Do the dehydrated tops give it like a really earthy dirt flavor? Like, does it does it carry through at all that sort of earthiness, or or not really? Yeah, I so we'll also buy zatar from my homie Medi, um, who owns this uh, importing company in Seattle called Villa Dorada, which is like the best spices ever in the world. I like came to Botanica, and they were using all like. Le Bois stuff and I was like this is all right but like Villa Dorada is the best um so we'll buy his too because we like repack spices and sell them in our little market um and it would just be like an insane amount of like we couldn't keep up if we were just doing all house-made zatar so like usually we'll buy his and I'll like blend some of our stuff in with it um and his zatar is like much more it's like much more like lemony kind of than ours um Mm -hmm. And ours is a little, yeah, it is a little more vegetal because of the, like, carrot tops and stuff. But I, I like, love it. I put it on everything. (laughs) 
when you were growing up in, in, uh, Seattle, were you like, were you eating, were you like a fast food family? Were you at, yeah, I know you at, you and your sister had to cook dinner, but like, were you kind of microwaving stuff or were you actually fully cooking a meal for your family? No, we were like, we were raised like pretty hippie. Like my friends were always super excited to sleep over at my house when we were kids. Cause we had like waffles made from scratch. And I was always excited to sleep over at their house cause they had like junk cereal. <laughs> um, so no, we were like very not, there's like so much stuff that like my friends eat. And I'm like, I don't have that like nostalgia button for that. So like, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were like pretty hippie, like everything we cooked, we were actually cooking, not to say that we were like cooking good stuff when it was like our dinner nights. I made a lot of like miso salads, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was the only vegetarian in my family. Like I've been like vegetarian, pescatarian since I was like 15. Um, and so that kind of pushed me to cook more inventively because like <laughs> otherwise, and we weren't like super crazy like meat eaters, but yeah, I don't know. Like we, I remember I been having like a boyfriend over in like middle school and we had falafel and he was like, do you guys like always eat like this? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like dinner was a big deal to my parents. They like always wanted us to like sit down together as a family and have dinner. How would you kind of describe your your menu at Botanica. It's, uh, I, I feel like Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, uh, it's, it's tough to really clearly define what that means because so many restaurants are now calling themselves Mediterranean these days. So can you go a little bit deeper into what influences you in your menu decisions and then what type of flavors are really exciting you right now and, and how that may differentiate you then from what people might consider a, a Middle Eastern or a different Mediterranean restaurant? Yeah. So it's not like super like traditional stuff. I mean, we have hummus on the menu, but it's like heirloom bean hummus. And we have like our set for our baba ganoush is like, you know, the like spread and then like pickled Thai eggplant and roasted Japanese eggplant. So it's like three different kinds of eggplant. So it's like a little more than sort of uh you can like I mean, on like on the menu, it literally is like smoky eggplant. And then it's like, we love eggplants because <laughs> like we do. And then it's like pickled and roasted. Um, so it's a little more like playful um, than I think, I don't know, than like straight ahead, like Middle Eastern Mediterranean restaurants. Um, and then, I don't know, we have like a couple different salads. We have a fatouche. We make our own lafa. And then, like, the lafa, like, the day-old lafa, we, like, cut up and, like, toss in olive oil and toast. And then that's the, like, bread element of the fatouche. Um, and then, yeah, we have, like, a lamb kefta, which, like, I don't eat meat. But, you know, it's, like, I feel like it's just, like, in my blood to like lamb. Like, lamb is the only meat that I'm, like, I would, I want to eat this. <laughs> um, and then... I love fish, so there'll always be a seafood dish on the menu, and it kind of just like rotates with whatever is exciting. And at the moment, I guess, um, like the current fish that um, I made, like a green curry for family meal. A lot of stuff like comes from family meal, um, where you're like kind of testing stuff out, and like uh, you'll be like, I have an idea. Like if you have enough time that day to be like, I have this idea, and like this is what I'm craving, or I saw something, and like let me like 
throw it together and like see. Um, so I made like a green curry one day and I was like, oh yeah. And then my, uh, my girl Sana who owns Diaspora, which is like a direct trade spice import company. Um, she introduced me to gunpowder, which is like, I'm like getting really into it. I don't know if you like want all this specific shit, but I'm like still hyped on this. So I'll tell you, um, she introduced me to gunpowder, which is like red lentils and then like sesame and spices and chilies that are like all ground up. And then they eat it with like bread and ghee and you just like sort of dip dip. Um, but I was like, what if we made like my version of gunpowder, which like has all, like toasted coconut in it as well. Um, and then like crusted a piece of fish in it and like seared it. And then it went on like this green curry set. So that's what the fish set is, which I'm like hyped on. Um, yeah, it's like Middle Eastern Mediterranean, but it's also like inspired by sort of like, I don't know, like the cultures that you experience in your day to day life. Like I always, you know, the kitchen is always full of like Mexicans and Guatemalans. And so I, that's sort of my secondary flavor palette that I pull from a lot because like, I don't know, that's like the food I've come up sort of cooking with. Like there's always like someone will like slide you a taco and be like, this is family meal or whatever. And that shit is good. Like my favorite salsa I learned to make from a dishwasher at a previous job. And I made it here and all the Mexicans like freaked out and they were like, how are you not Mexican? <laughs> but yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I love that when stuff comes from family meal, that's, it is a really good testing ground and it's an awesome way to just get pretty good, honest feedback from people on whether something, whether there's something there. I'm wondering how do dishes end up on the menu that have, uh, protein in them? Um, do you conceptualize of those dishes and then have somebody else taste it or do you taste meat but not eat meat how does that work as a vegetarian yeah um I taste it most of the time I spit it out um the lamb sometimes I won't spit out (laughs) um but yeah I mean just because I don't eat it doesn't mean I can't like think about how I would eat it you know like I'm not so sensitive that I'm like I can't even break down this chicken like don't show me blood like you know I I've come up being the only girl in kitchens a lot of the time and like I'm already a pain in the ass because I don't eat meat like I'm not gonna like make a bigger deal out of it like I already am like I already have to do a lot of work to try and fit in and so I'm not gonna be like squeamish and weird about meat shit (laughs) um yeah and so it was kind of just like what do I how would I want to eat it um and then, yeah, I'll, like, taste it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Is there ever, um, is there ever anything that you are, like, really excited about that you are considering putting on the menu, but, like, it doesn't fit at Botanica, so you don't put it on the menu, or... Um, does anything kind of go as long as like you're excited about it and the flavors are good? Um, so far, I mean, so far the only sort of thing that has come up is like, will that work for a takeout kind of, um, I feel pretty lucky that the owners and I have a good relationship and there's like trust there. So I do have a lot of creative control. I mean, like, there's a fucking green curry on the menu. Like, (laughs) I think that we are also, like, aligned in our food philosophy and our, like, styles of 
of how we all want to eat are all the same, which is cool. Um, so they were like, yeah, fuck it up, throw, throw a drink curry on there, it's delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, like, it's a fine line, right, of, like, you don't want to be confusing to people where you have, like, all different cuisines or whatever, but to a certain extent, if it tastes good and you like it, like, other people will like it, too. How has takeout been going? Are are people that were regulars at Botanica coming in a lot and treating you as sort of like an extension of their kitchen? Are you uh, on delivery platforms now and like trying to expand your customer base? Because uh, it's just, you, you said at the way beginning of the conversation that you ha- have had to pivot quite a few times. So I'm wondering just what's the state of the union of Botanica? How are things standing right now when in LA you can't have anyone come inside and you can't have outdoor dining, right? Like as of January, you still can't do outdoor dining. Yeah. Still no. We had like, I don't know, a month or two of outdoor dining, like this brief little beautiful, Oh my God, the patio is full of moments. Um, but yeah, now we're back to takeout life, which is not nearly as busy as it was when people could come do uh, outdoor dining. We have some people who are like diehard regulars still, and that's like really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, my my experience at Botanica has, has only been during COVID time, so I'm not like really super familiar with like who our regulars used to be and who they still are. Um, like I know who we have now, but um, yeah, from like what the owners have talked about, it's a lot of it's a lot of people from outside the neighborhood also who are like coming to get food um yeah it's sort of it's like this mildly heartbreaking thing of like you have to sort of like be ready for anything but it's takeout so it's like you can see like how many covers you have on the books for the night you're just kind of like blindly like hopefully it's busy because it's like friday and like you'll get it's a lot more like unpredictable are you finding that not just customers, but like you and your friends, are you traveling further distances to try restaurants and to go get food either because there's just not as much stuff to do. So it's kind of an adventure or it's an activity or is it the opposite? Are you staying much closer to home because of COVID and not, and people aren't necessarily traveling as much far distances to various parts of LA because it is truly a driving city. And you could have a friend who works at a restaurant in Venice and you're in Silver Lake and you guys might not see each other for like six months. So um, which, which is it? Are you kind of isolated or are you going all around and checking places out? Oh man. I mean, like for the, I would say like until until like maybe two months ago, I was super like not getting takeout from anywhere. Like I think I had gotten takeout like one time this whole time. Um, out of fear or? <laughs> no, just like out of like, I don't know, cost and laziness. Mm. Like I was just okay. like, my like sous chef one day, like semi recently was like, you can't just keep going to the grocery store. Like you have to go try restaurants. Like it's part of our job. And I was like, damn you're young, but you're right. <laughs> um, and so she kind of like kicked me a little bit. Cause I was like, whatever, I'll just like survive on like the hummus from work and like 
go back to work in two days and whatever. And, and she was like, no, no, no. Like, we have to do this. Like, that's how you get inspired by shit. And I was like, you're right. So now I've been like going, going and getting takeout more. And it's like that weird thing, right? Of like rich people not understanding that like restaurants and artists need support. But like those of us sort of on the ground are like, yeah, like I got you. Like I'm going to get takeout. So now I'm like more on that tip. And we, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm good friends with the executive sous chef at Rustic Canyon. And we like were lucky enough to go there when outdoor dining was happening in October for my birthday. And so, but like he hasn't come and gotten food from my restaurant yet. Cause we're just like on other sides of the world. It feels like sometimes, but, but yeah, a lot of the times we'll just be like, fuck it. Like what else are we doing? Yeah. I'll drive to Glendale for this like herb wrap or like go to Melrose for pizza or whatever. Now it's like, okay, fuck, this isn't going to open up anytime soon. Like we might as well get in there and show support. What was something that you came into this job that beyond what you just articulated that Mm -hmm. surprised you that maybe wasn't something that you thought you would have to address even or fix or, or tackle and it became a part of the job. Anything catch you off guard? So much. I was caught so off guard. (laughs) Um, I mean, the recipe thing was huge to me because like, I just feel like unless, unless you're like really, I just feel like you catch so much shit with having a recipe. Like at London Plain, I would have recipes in English and in Spanish because we had team members who didn't speak any English. And I was like, okay, well I can do this. Like, let me translate it and then and then give you this roadmap. Um, besides the recipe thing, I'm like, what else? There's just like, mm, there was just like, I mean, honestly, it's the recipe thing. There was like a lot of admin work that wasn't getting done properly or at all, um, which is something that I think nobody teaches you or tells you when you're like young or when you first become a chef that like, there's so much, there's so much computer time involved, <laughs> which is not my favorite part at all. Like I used to perch on the edge of the counter at London Plain with my laptop. Cause I was like, I do not want to be in the office. Like I don't want to be out of the kitchen. I would rather do like so many manual labor tasks than um, computer tasks. But um, yeah, anything else? You get all the way to the top and then you realize that you don't get to do any of the things that you got to do along the way. And now you have to do all the bullshit to make sure that it works and runs smoothly. Yeah, you know how that goes. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, Yeah. the joke is like you work all the years to become a chef. And then the minute you become a chef, you never touch a knife again. It's like it's not that extreme, obviously. But like in some places, you know, you get to be like the executive chef of a spot and you – don't interact with food (laughs) for 95% of the day because you're busy in a meeting all day long about sales figures or whatever it might be, you know? Um, Yeah, that's, go ahead, sir. That's, I mean, that's not not what it is for for most people, but it seems like you're obviously still in the thick of it. Um, What's the... You said a little bit ago that, you know, you knew when you walked in the kitchen that you were going to be there for, you know, I think you said a couple years or you definitely felt like you uh, fit in at this spot. Do you have 
plans and dreams five years, 10 years from now? Is that the way that you think and operate or are you uh, figure it out as things come to you type of person? Um, a little bit of both. Like I definitely want to open my own thing one day, even though like, you know, the longer you're in the industry, the more, the more you see how high the odds are stacked against you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely have vision of what I want to create and like, you know, the, the, the space and the tone and the like ambiance and all that. But I also am a huge believer in like just going towards what feels good. And that sort of ends up being um, where you're supposed to be. So yeah, I'm, I definitely, I definitely want to have something where I like have my own like ownership over it. Um, but I'm, but I'm not like pushing super hard to get there yet. I think that like opportunities will present themselves as I continue to like work hard and, you know, do, do all the things I'm like trying to make more like videos on my Instagram. Cause I'm like, okay, part of this is like playing the fucking Instagram game. So you got to do that a little bit, but that's also like a fine line between, you know, just enough and too much. So <laughs> yeah. What do you, looking forward to in 2021 and what are you nervous about and what are you not looking forward to in 2021? Oh man. In, in like related to my job or just the world? (laughs) It's your life. You can answer it however you want. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I really miss going to see live music and going to eat at restaurants. (laughs) So I'm really excited for that to be a thing again. Um, I am, I mean, you know, today is the day after all that insanity at the Capitol. So I'm nervous for like our, our political systems and like our, you know, I'm nervous from a political leadership standpoint in a major way, like more than anything else. Um, I'm trying to be optimistic, but uh, it's a bit frightening out there right now. So hopefully we, hopefully we can move in a more positive uh, direction. What are your thoughts and feelings on where the future of the industry can go. And I, I asked that question in two ways, which is just like in general, where do you think it can go? And also because of COVID, where do you think it may be going? <laughs> um, we're going to start with the negative so we can end on the positive for this, for this answer. Um, I'm nervous because, you know, the, so far how it's been set up is not to save small restaurants, which is so sad. And like when you read about all the closures that have happened and all the people that, you know, are out of work and haven't, you know, won't reopen, like that's really sad because like restaurants make part of our culture, um, a huge part of our culture, like it's community gathering, whatever. Um, So that makes me nervous that we've like lost such a, such a percentage of small restaurants. But I hope that with our new president and like new legislation, 
and people being genuinely like upset um, at the state of things and hopefully realizing like how much going out to eat was like a big part of their lives that, that we sort of gain momentum or we continue to sort of gain momentum in the, in this way that aligns with sort of the increased accountability that's been happening in restaurants. Like I think there's a lot less uh, toxic sort of workplaces in restaurants than there used to be. Um, And so hopefully with like, hopefully with the support that we need financially, like that will continue to just like working conditions will continue to get better. And like, I don't know, people will, Hopefully, you know, it's like from the outside, money can goes to restaurants so that they can like pay people better and like treat people better and all of that. But I also know that I'm maybe slightly in the minority where I'm like thinking very like holistically about how a restaurant is run. And I know not everybody thinks like that, but I think that given how hard the work is, like we need to be thinking more like that. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Line. Botanica is in Silver Lake at 1620 Silver Lake Boulevard. Head over to BotanicaRestaurant.com to find the most up-to-date hours of operation. Now, go see Chef Zara. And if you're in a different city, make sure that you're supporting your local independent restaurants. I'll be back with more episodes this month focusing on how COVID is impacting the hospitality industry. As always, you can reach me on Instagram at the Sussmans or send me an email to the line at heritageradionetwork.org. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.